Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Monday, January 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from the sunny climes of Southern Florida. <laughs> yeah, this may not have been the week to visit. <laughs> and he brought nearly a foot of snow with him, Dan Klein. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Nice to see you. And I will point out, I am here because it's snowing and no one else is here. We have gone well down the bench into the uh, not at all into the bullpens here. Long-time listeners of Industry Focus are familiar with your work. Um, yeah, for those who might have missed it, here in the greater DC area, we got well here in Alexandria, we got ten inches of snow. And uh, over a 24-hour period, and I knew it was serious when I was walking into the office this morning. And right across the street from Full Headquarters was the local NBC affiliate, the the Storm Team Four <laughs> branded vehicle. I thought, boy, is Chuck Bell here? Like, is the lo- like? We're, we're both from New England. Yes, this is a little silly. Um, you know, it is and it isn't. I mean, for for New England, where you've got the resources, you know, particularly northern New England, you've got the resources, you've got the salt, you've got the trucks. But around here, they don't have the resources. So there's like three inches of snow on the sidewalks, and people are flipping out. And I get it. At West Palm Beach, where I live, it's 60 today. People are going to be in fur coats. Yeah, so. that's true. Uh, fortunately, the news never stops, and we're going to talk media. We're going to talk energy. We'll talk entertainment, but we're going to start with retail. Lululemon Athletica shares up eight percent this morning. Lululemon raised guidance for the full fiscal year. This is a nice boost for for the raise in the guidance, and uh, I think it's safe to assume that they had a good holiday quarter. Yeah, this shocks me because they were they had reported in early December, and the numbers were a little soft. This is a premium product that I didn't. It's not really in line with who did well. Target, Walmart, those had good holiday seasons. And if you walk into Target, there is a huge display of they don't call it fake Lululemon, but you know, La La Larry or whatever whatever their fake brand is. So this is shows a real strength that people you know the economy is pretty good and they are willing to buy seventy dollars yoga pants. I was less surprised, but that's because I have. Uh, young women in my house, ah. and uh, in terms of what was on various uh, Christmas wish lists and that sort of thing, and there's a Lululemon right here in Old Town, and over break there was a there was an excursion, all that all that sort of thing. Um, are you at all surprised? Not necessarily just by this, because I know you're surprised by this, but there was a stretch of time where the success of Lululemon. Was talked about um, first with praise and then followed by, but I don't see how they keep this up. I don't, you know, the how big is the market for hundred dollar yoga pants? And the track record of Lululemon over the past ten years is pretty impressive. Well, I think they've moved beyond the sort of trendy. Like remember when Vineyard Vines, everyone had to have that shirt of, of the high school kids. They still have a little bit of that, so they haven't fallen into like the negative. Sometimes you get that backlash where it becomes really not cool. That didn't happen, and that's because it's a quality product. I don't look like it, but I've done hundreds of yoga classes over the last <laughs> few years, and if someone is wearing cheap yoga pants, that's not great. <laughs> and so, for the actual yoga market, 
Lululemon is a really good product, and I'm sure there are less pricey, maybe Targets, maybe Amazons, but you don't know. And if it's the difference between your yoga pants being see-through or not, I think you might spend the extra money. So they've established that this brand is good, and I think that will transcend sort of the up and down trendiness of the label. And they've also done a good job of expanding the offerings for men. I mean, that was something when they when they initially talked about this is going to be a focus for us. I was one of those people saying, "Come on, really? Is that really going?" No, and it actually is, and and it goes to what you said. It's the quality. They make quality stuff. I laughed because as a man who does yoga, it is very challenging to figure out what to wear. You know, you can't really wear sweatpants. You'll see guys like show up in slacks. Like nobody knows what to Good do. Lord. So, so to be able to buy, you know, sort of a quality pant that like it, you're not wearing a woman's outfit. You're wearing something made for men. They've really figured it out, and they're answering a question that maybe the rest of the market didn't believe was being asked, but every guy in a yoga studio was asking. Good for them. Let's move on to Gannett. Uh, Gannett being the parent company of USA Today. Shares of Gannett up 20% on reports of a takeover bid by MNG Enterprises, a fund that includes the Denver Post, the San Jose Mercury News. They're talking $12 a share. Right now, when we walked in the studio, the stock was trading at, I think, $11.68, something like that. That this seems like a takeover bid that is marked for success. So this is disturbing. As someone who's in the, I used to work for a company called the Journal Register Company, which was a predecessor of Digital First Media, which is owned by this hedge fund. And as a fan of news, as people who produce a lot of content, these are people who come in and they don't just combine the back offices. If they were saying like, yeah, we don't need the Denver Post and the Los Angeles whatever to both have CFOs, all right, maybe you can No, no, they get rid of 40% of the news staff. And then when surprisingly the audience doesn't like that, their answer isn't let's hire some news people back, it's let's keep cutting. So as a shareholder, be careful what you wish for. Because yeah, you might get a slight premium on your stock, but you're gonna lose your source of local news, and that's yeah. There is a scorched earth track record. To give you an example, the paper I worked at in Torrington, Connecticut, when I was the editor there, was understaffed at 18 full-time editorial staffers. There are three people in that room right now. Wow, hard to run a newspaper. And yeah, some of the production was outsourced, and some of the things, but like, how can you cover the local news? With three people in the newsroom. Well, and here in the DC area over the last 25 years, we've watched the Washington Post as a standalone public company shift its business focus to be, you know, to include educational services, that sort of thing. And uh, it's only when Jeff Bezos comes in and buys the paper and starts to invest in it that, and it's removed from the public markets that. It begins to thrive. Although I should say, I mean, in terms of a publicly traded company, the New York Times over the last couple of years has done a good job in expanding its digital audience and rewarding shareholders. And you're seeing it other places. I mean, it's privately owned, but the Boston Globe, where I used to work, 
they decided it's a premium product, we're going to charge a premium price, and they're putting resources into the news people want. Hearst in Connecticut, uh, buying up a bunch of newspapers and combining assets where it makes sense. It's fine to only have one Yukon reporter covering women's basketball, not three, but you s- nobody's going to buy USA Today or any of their local papers if they don't actually have reporters. And we are a partner. U- USA Today uses our content, so in some ways, them having less staff might be good <laughs> for the Molly Fool. But overall, you have to understand when you buy a newspaper, public or whether you're buying a share of stock, the returns have to be modest for the business to work. Uh, quick shout out to LinkedIn. You're looking to make that perfect hire to set your team up for success in the new year. And where are you going to find that person? Uh, when it comes to posting your job, you want to go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day, and that's LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members are not checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every 8 seconds using LinkedIn. So, find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com. As a bonus, you get $50 off your first job post. You're going to find the right person and you're going to save a little money. Go to LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. PG&E is filing for bankruptcy because of the liability around the wildfires in California and, not surprisingly, shares of PG&E down 50% today. Um, again, this is not a surprise. I'm curious when. If you've ever found yourself in this situation, because this is a question we've gotten before from not just investors in PG&E, but just investors in a distressed business. You could look at Sears at any point (laughs) over the last 12 months. Um, What is your go-to move in that situation as an investor? Because I think, even though I've got a couple of stocks in my portfolio that are way down, they're not on the verge of bankruptcy or anything like that, I'm I'm sort of loath to sell them. I think if I were in this situation, I'd just look to cut my losses. Well, first of all, if you're in this situation, forgive yourself. This isn't bad prognostication. This isn't you really believed Sears' strategy of doing absolutely nothing would turn their business around. This is liability in a disaster that maybe if you knew each member of management personally, you might have known, but there was no way. So, let it go. And then, get out the best you can. Because holding on to the stock, there's not going to be a turnaround. Even if there is some, these assets will all be sold, because this company does need to still operate, or at least these services need to be provided. Yeah, to utility. But, three years from now, when they have figured out the last, you know, PG&E desk chair is sold, and there's a fund. The fund is not going to pay back stockholders. So you you don't want to be waiting to get your two cents on the dollar. Just get out, call it a lesson learned, and you know, hope hopefully you have some gains to offset those losses. Well, right. I was going <laughs> to. We were talking earlier. I was saying, gosh, if you're in this situation with PG&E. Maybe one of the silver linings is the timing of it all. We're you know a couple weeks into the year. If you're selling now, then you've got 11 months to look at your portfolio and think, okay, is there something I want to sell at a gain? These losses will offset that, and I'm gonna, you know, have a, a very attractive tax bill. And by very attractive, I mean 
uh, maybe I'm paying nothing for capital gains. You got to look on the bright side because this isn't good for anybody. Um, so, I was looking at your por- your portfolio, not your actual portfolio, but um, everyone at the Motley Fool um, who's who's writing, who's producing content, all of our. Um, Profiles are on fool.com and our holdings are on there. So people can just at any moment can see, oh, well, what stocks do they own? And two things stuck out to me about the stocks that you own. One is you own four stocks. I don't know that I necessarily had a number in my head. I, <laughs> I know it was higher than four. But what struck me was that along with Apple and Microsoft, one of the stocks you own is WWE. Um, which is one of those companies that we don't talk about very much on this show, to the chagrin of at least a couple of our listeners, because I've I've gotten email and, and tweets over the last couple of years where people are saying, Hey, can you talk about WWE? So I'm gonna use this opportunity to say <laughs> and I'm sort of tempted to lead with why do you own WWE? But for those for those unfamiliar, what is uh, what is the uh, basic thumbnail sketch of the business of WWE. WWE is a content company that has a sports-like, they call it sports entertainment, product. So, in terms of, of rights, it tracks like sports. So, it's very predictable. Ratings might inch up, inch down, but they're not going to plummet. They're, they're not going to get canceled the way like Disney could have a, a show on a rival network canceled and it impacts their bottom line. Pro wrestling is not getting canceled, is what it, you're saying. It has a core fan base. And for the past few years, they've largely been operating unopposed. That's changing a little bit now. There, there's there's some new money in it. Sinclair has a rival. There's uh, Shad Khan who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars is starting a rival. There's a lot of money in sports rights, so that's changing a little bit. But previously, their biggest negative was the sort of stigma of pro wrestling fans. Nobody thinks of me or uh, industry focus host Nick Seipel as the typical wrestling fan, you know, owns a house, has a little bit of money. No, they think like redneck who only wants beer commercials. So WWE has worked really hard to change that reputation, to move the product a little more mainstream, a little bit more PG, and that's been rewarded by massive television rights deals because live sports, even live pretend sports, People watch them as they air. Wait, pro wrestling isn't real? I'm sorry to tell you. um, Now, of course, Hulk Hogan, totally real, but all the more recent pro wrestlers. um, But it it plays like a sport. Yes, the the outcomes are predetermined, but you probably don't know them, even if you think you do and, and can guess it. So, if you are a fan, chances are you have friends who are fans. It's just like if I'm not going to watch the Patriots game yesterday, my mother couldn't watch in real time. She had to like send out a social media alert, don't text me about the game. She had to remember not to pick up her phone, because it would appear on Facebook. Very similar with WWE. If you're Why couldn't she watch it in real time? Uh, she, she had a tap dance event. My, oh, okay. My, my mother, a woman of many talents. Oh, okay. So, I, I didn't know if it was like she was in a, a place where it was blacked out or something No, like no. She, she, just, she had, she she was, had a conflict. She had people in her house that weren't football fans um, and couldn't watch. And I think, by the way, there should be an app that blocks all of your content so you don't find out the score. But in terms of WWE, Monday Night Raw, people watch on Monday night. You know, Tuesday night, which is moving to Friday night on, on Fox, and now on USA, moving to Fox, 
you have to watch those. So Fox is paying a billion dollars over five years for a WWE live two-hour show that does half the ratings of the sitcoms that they air right now. The the sitcoms that air there do about four million people. SmackDown on a Tuesday night does two million. Moving to Fox a little bit better than USA, but Friday night a lot worse. Ratings are probably going to go down, and they still think it's worth a billion dollars over five years because. That sitcom, you can skip through the commercials when you're watching it on DVR four days later. It sounds like, I mean, a billion dollars for wrestling over a five year period, that sounds like a good deal for WWE and its shareholders. Um, if you're a Fox shareholder, maybe you're scratching your head a little bit. I. I like the deal for both companies, though the piece that hasn't really been talked about is WWE, in theory, should be producing just a lot of filler content for FS1, a lot of stuff that airs on their own network. One of the challenges they have is they created a streaming service because they didn't think this kind of TV deal was going to be there. They thought cord cutting would happen a little faster, the stigma of wrestling might prevent them from getting big money, so they they created a network that they were going to sell to their core audience. Thought they could get to 4 or 5 million subscribers, they're only at about 1.8, and it's a squishy number because they do a lot of free trials. They had to stop pushing that because now they have to push Fox and USA. They're paying Comcast and Fox are paying huge money. But five years from now, the cable universe may be very different. So the only major caveat as a WWE shareholder is if they can't get this kind of money again, and we've never seen sports rights go down. So that is a big, but the cable universe, the TV universe could be very fractured by then. And then you're going to have a wounded WWE losing almost $2 billion over five years in revenue. And they're probably not going to pick up 3 million subscribers to their network. So. I'm glad you mentioned sports rights because uh, I wanted to get, and we can close on this. Um, we've seen, as you indicated, we've seen sports rights, television rights come up for the major sports here in the United States, um, even smaller sports as well. And the price tag keeps going up, and which leads to uh, some people saying, this is a bubble, it's going to burst at some point, there's no way this is sustainable. Where do you come down on this, in terms of whether it's the NFL, the NBA, upcoming, you know, Major League Baseball? So, all you need is two bidders. And right now, when the NFL rights come up, that won't be an issue. NBA, baseball, they benefit from the fact that you have DAZN, which is a pure streaming service. You have ESPN Plus looking for pure digital content. The challenge with that is, and you're seeing it with UFC, um, Ultimate Fighting, Mixed Martial Arts, whoever you want to look at it, they took what used to be free content on FS1 that sort of lured you into the product, got you to buy the pay-per-view, and they're putting it on a paid service on ESPN+. They're getting a lot more money, but they're going to expose a lot less fans. So You wonder if, at some point, there's a bubble for some of that. But if you're the NHL, a much lesser league in terms of rights, you're going to be able to say, Hey, Yahoo is willing to pay twice as much as NBC or ESPN. And maybe you're you're not actually willing to go to Yahoo yet, but you'll get a little bit more out of NBC and ESPN. So I think we've got at least one more round of escalating rights. Dan Klein, thank you so much for making the trip. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.